Okay, shifting gears now, and we are continuing in our series in 1 Samuel, and as we've been going through this great book, we've now gotten to this place in history where we have seen the disaster of Saul's reign. We have uh, also seen the anointing of this man, David, as he was anointed as a young boy. Uh, But this anointing, as we have seen, it took place, and and as we are... Where we are in this story, David is anointed as king, but while Saul still still sits on the throne. Now this leads, Saul noticing the favor that David has with the people and with the Lord himself, this leads to Saul's hatred for David. It also leads to Saul's pursuit after David's life, which puts David on the run from Saul. Now last week we looked and As we went through chapters 23 and 24, we saw David in an amazing moment of trusting in God's decisions in his, uh, David in an amazing moment of being able to listen to God's word through his own conscience. This led to David sparing the life of Saul when he had the perfect opportunity to take his life when he was in the cave of Adullam. And this would have meant David being free from being chased by a mad king, Saul. This would have meant David um, being able to move back home, uh, being in the security of his home and without having to be on the run. But what we saw is that David instead saw that God had uh, chosen to leave Saul as king and therefore he spared his life. Now as we move into chapter 25, This story continues, but with a brief break in the action as we look at the first verse in chapter 25 that announces Samuel's death. And as we are going through this story that is named after Samuel, what we see here are two sentences given to to his death. That's it, two sentences. And then the story moves on. And so here is this man who brought God's voice back to Israel, Samuel, who brought righteousness back to the land, and he gets two sentences. Now, we could look at that and uh, think that is odd, but I, I think this is what the author is trying to tell us, is that the story of God continues on, that God's voice and his favor and his kindness and his election of Israel does not stop with Samuel's death. But instead, God's story continues. But it leaves us with this question, who will stand for righteousness in the land now? Who will listen to God? And so let's read some in 1 Samuel 25. I will read 1 through 35. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. 
and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal. In the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by day, by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David. And more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. This is her husband, by the way. Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies... And those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out 
as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. This is the word of the Lord. Let me briefly pray. Father, just ask now after that long passage that you would use this, your word, in our hearts and in our lives. For the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In a life that experiences the ebbs and flows of successes and disappointments, we desperately need the ministry of others. A little over two years ago, our third child, Elisa, was born. And at the time of her birth, she came uh, into this world as a beautiful baby, healthy. Her mom was a happy mom, and I was a proud dad. We had family and friends surrounding us. We had people sending us messages and calling us, congratulating us, and it was such a joyous time. About two hours after her birth, I got a phone call that our beloved and dear Miss Trudy, who uh, some of you may not know, but she played the piano and the keyboard for us for years. Uh, and we, I got a call that she had passed away that day. And when I got that call, I was sitting in the hospital at St. Vincent's, and I was just celebrating the birth of my daughter on cloud nine, and I was here. And then all of a sudden, I was here. Now, the beginning of life and then the end of this life are the extremes of the ebb and flow of life, the things to celebrate and the things to mourn. Those are the extremes, but they're a great representation. They're a great representation of the fact that in this life, we're here and then we're here. And life is never really steady. We long for steady. We would love for life to be steady, but it's never really steady for for much time at all. And I feel like life is best lived by enjoying, celebrating in a healthy way the successes, the things worth celebrating. And I feel like it's best lived when we truly deal with and face disappointments. But in those times, we desperately need the ministry of others. And in this passage, we see how the vital ministry of Abigail, sometimes an overlooked character in the Scriptures, how desperate or how vital this ministry of Abigail is for David. And without her, we are left with an unjust man that's driven by anger, a man who's unfit to be a king, a man who is unfit to be God's choice as the king over Israel. But with her, as she comes onto the scene, as, as in some ways a foreshadowing of Christ himself, 
as she comes onto the scene, intervenes and intercedes. David faces his sin. He repents. He's thankful to the Lord for his faithfulness, for restraining him in this time. And this is what we see in chapter 25. Well, we're faced with these problems as we look at the life of David. We see the problem of successes and we see the problem of disappointments. And as mentioned before, I ever read this chapter, these many verses, I mentioned that David had spared Saul. And in doing so, a few things were realized. We realize that the Lord could even put Saul, the king of Israel, into David's hand while David was on the run, hiding in a cave. He could put this, this king, this mighty king, in the most vulnerable position that he could ever be in, in the hands of David. We also realize that David trusted God. Even when he could have taken Saul's life, David trusted that God was leaving Saul as king for a time, for a reason. Thirdly, we also saw um, or realized through chapter 23 and 24 that David reconciled with Saul, giving us a glimpse of uh, peace between Saul and David for a moment. And that helped us see that even Saul declared David's kingship. And he said, surely the Lord will establish you as king over the nation of Israel. So what to see here? Samuel has died, but not before the hope of Israel was anointed. And the author wants us to see very clearly that God is giving his people hope through David before Samuel ever dies. They won't be left with Saul forever. They won't be left with Saul for much longer even. And David's well on his way. He has success in battle. He has success in leadership. And there's even spiritual success. He's able to hear the voice of God through his conscience. And he's able to rely on a clean conscience because of the time that he spends meditating on God's Word and God's faithfulness and His truth. But where does this success leave David? And where does this success leave, where does success leave you and Where does it leave me? Now, pride is an obvious answer, and we should all embrace it. Understand that success will leave us with pride. It leads to pride, but that it also leads to being alone. Success leads to being alone. And not loneliness in the sense of we don't, when we're successful, we then lose the presence of others. But it often means that we leave others behind and we ignore the voice of others. And so it leaves us alone in a very real, real sense. And success has a great problem of placing you and me in the position of having only our voice to listen to. Because you've done it, you've accomplished it, you've made the way. And therefore, it's your voice that you have confidence in. And oftentimes these accomplishments are, are made when we choose not to listen to others or we feel like others are giving us faulty advice and so we follow our instincts and then we're successful. And that gives us even greater reason to listen to only our voice. Now we're not given the specific details as to who's advising David in his life at this time, but what we do know is that Abigail comes on the scene and from all that we can tell, she is the only one that is telling David not to kill Nabal, Nabal. 
And so it's, this is showing us that until Abigail gets there, David's success has him leaning on, on his own voice. Others may be telling, telling him things, but it's only what he wants to hear. And so he has risen to this place where he's had success in battle, success in leadership, and even spiritual success that has left him alone with his voice. So let's see just how important this ministry of others is. In the chapter before, David's conscience struck him, and therefore he spared Saul. That's what the passage tells us. And now, as he's moving to kill Nabal because he's been, he's been offended and he's been embarrassed, we hear no mention of David's conscience. We hear no mention that his conscience is telling him not to take Nabal's life. And this is frightening, really, how quickly. Because this, this very well could have just been days. These two events could have been days apart. And it's frightening how quickly we can smother God's voice. It's frightening how quickly we can respond to maybe our own spiritual success gaining pride and smothering the very voice of God because we think we are the reason for where we are. And we tend to embrace our spiritual maturity or our spiritual accomplishments or our successes in this world as a way to exalt ourselves. Now, we must be aware of our God-prescribed need for the ministry of others because success leads to blindness and it leads to making decisions all alone. And so what's the problem with success? As we look at this point, number one, it's to understand that we're left alone with ourselves and this is exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us to be left alone with our flesh, but what we need is the voice of Christ. What we need is our humble Savior speaking into our life, and this is often mediated. We talked about mediums in Sunday school. This is often mediated through the ministry of other people. This is often mediated through people who are not blind to the things that we are blind to because God has placed them in our life. So here's what we need when things are well and when we're on a roll and when there's full steam ahead. And when a new blindness is set in and a new deafness is set in, we need godly counsel. We need the voice of our spouses. We need the voice of elders. We need the voice of our church in our lives. We need the voice of trusted, godly people who we know are pursuing the voice of Christ in our life. Now, we're going to want to operate alone. We're going to want to trust in our instincts. We're going to want to trust in our former successes and in our passions, but we need others because we need the voice of Christ. We must be aware of the power and the desire of our flesh to rise to the top and to be the lone voice in our life. We need the voice of Christ. And that's the problem with success is that we also often smother the voice of Christ that is there, and so we desperately need others surrounding us. There's also problems with disappointments. Now, where there is success and where the steam of David's successes leads him to Carmel, he finds a wealthy businessman there. And though Nabal has a beautiful and a discerning wife, the author describes him as harsh. 
badly behaved, prideful, as someone who's defined by his means. So here's Abigail over here. Godly, discerning, favored, and here's Nabal whose name literally means fool, husband and wife. I hope there's not any of those couples in here, but I'm not sure. But this is Abigail and Nabal, and David pursues him because of his wealth. He pursues him because he wants his resources on his side, and he saw an opportunity to do that very thing. He offered help and kindness to his sheep shearers, hoping for something in return. But that's not what happened, and in fact, he was shunned. In fact, Nabal sought to shame him, and he was embarrassed, even infuriated, to the point of deciding to kill this man. His plans were disrupted. He was offended, and he couldn't handle this disappointment. He could, just like he couldn't handle success, he couldn't handle this disappointment. And just as we don't know how to handle success, we also don't know how to handle disappointment. It often causes anger because we feel we deserve something. It often causes panic because that was our plan, and now we no longer have that plan. And when anger and panic join together, it's never a good mix, and we begin to dig deeper and deeper, hurting others along the way. At a former job, which almost seems like a former life, when I was working in construction, I got reprimanded at one point for ordering too few materials for one of the jobs that was being built. And this ended up actually being um, a huge mistake because it was a long lead time. Now, when I did some research, I realized that this was a drafting error by one of the draftsmen that was in the company. And so I went hard after this draftsman. But the problem was, and I knew this, the problem was is that I was responsible to double-check the draftsman and the drafting work uh, before the plans were finalized. And I didn't do it. I was in a hurry or something. I don't exactly remember what happened, but I didn't do it, and I pushed the plans on through, and they were final, and I ordered according to them, and I got a lashing. And And what did I do? I chose to send this lashing down down the line because I was embarrassed, I was offended, and it had disrupted plans. And so I had anger, and I had panic, and I began to hurt other people. I didn't know how to deal with disappointment. Disappointment is a time when we become like David. We begin to lash out at others. It's also a time when we begin to lash out at ourselves. We begin condemning ourselves. We begin the self, uh, self-hatred. Self-hatred becomes exposed. And this can and does lead to isolation. This leads to us not wanting to face reality. But we need the voice of Christ here because we don't know how to deal with it. Just as we get blinded in success, we get blinded in disappointment. We need His voice. We need to hear that He's at work. And we need to know that His love is at work in our life and it's not dependent on how we have messed something up or how we have not gained in the way that we thought we should have gained at this point. And the voice of Christ often has to come through others. 
And we often need the faith of others. And this is not a permanent thing. Of course, someone can't believe for you to get you into heaven. But we often need the faith of others. We, when, when we are not believing and resting in Christ, we need someone else that's believing and resting in Christ. That's coming alongside us. That's speaking into our life. That's speaking the scriptures into our life when we're not believing them. When we're not trusting in them. When we're not going to them. Last week I had a very difficult conversation on the phone. And it was a one that I, I left very disappointed afterwards. And I was prepping for a sermon on that particular day. And Neil, who, and I'm so thankful that he does this. He often knows when I'm preparing for a sermon and he'll come. And he'll just come in my office and say, Hey, I know you're preparing. I just want to pray for you. And I had just recently gotten off the phone and so I was mad I was disappointed, and I was reading the Bible, preparing a sermon, not a good mix. And Neil just slips in, and he says, hey, I just want to pray for you. And I said, fine, just, okay, pray. <laughs> and so Neil just prays. And I don't remember what Neil prayed, but Neil believed that God was supposed to work through my preparation and work through a sermon, and Neil had faith. And I had anger and just kind of, I was um, disillusioned at the moment. But I was able to lean on the faith of one of our elders and it, was, it strengthened me and it was so necessary during that moment. You never know when someone's needing your prayers. You never know when someone's needing your presence, needing your ministry. Don't neglect the way in which God would use you to intervene into someone's life. And you may think they have it all together. And you may think that they are full steam ahead and that you better not get in their way. But if you feel like God's leading you into someone's life to speak into their life, to help them turn and repent, or to give them encouragement and lift them up, go and be there. This is what Abigail did. She entered in to this situation. We desperately need people like her in our life because we need the voice of Christ. We need His strength. And we need people to give us His very word. And then we need to be that for others. Because otherwise our friends, our family, our church will depend on their flesh and their guilt and the enemy to speak to them during disappointment. But we can combat that. Now this lady, Abigail, as I mentioned, this is an overlooked character in the Scripture. But I was telling, I was telling Elena just the other night, and this is not in the plans, but if we were to have another daughter, I want her named Abigail. This lady comes onto the scene Sees the power of David, takes, willing to take on guilt of another, willing to sacrifice her life. And why does she do this? We find out it's not because she's desperately trying to protect her husband for her own sake. She's doing this for the sake of the kingdom. She's doing this because she knows that God has a great plan for David to one day rule the kingdom. 
We don't know how she got this information, but we know that she was willing to give up her own life for someone else. Now I want to take just a final moment and see the good and the bad of David here. Because what we see in this chapter is David responded to Abigail's plea. He repented. This tells us he is not Saul. But we also see for the first time, we see a mere man, a fallen man, and a disappointing man. So this may be the king that Israel needs. This may be the one that will continue righteousness in the land of Israel. This may be the one that will continue the active voice of God in Israel. And he, this will be the king. And therefore he's not probably not like us. But we also see that he is unable to handle the things that we also can't handle. And therefore he could never, ever save us from our sins. He could never be our spotless substitute. And so as this drama has been building up to chapter 23, 24, 25, here we are. We finally get to the life of David and we're glad that soon there will be no more Saul. But we still see David could never be the spotless substitute. And in fact, we see moments of mad tyranny in his life. We see moments that left to his own devices, he'll be a terrible king. He can never be our substitute. But we need one. And Christ handled success and disappointment perfectly. And here's the ministry of Christ. And we need the ministry of others. We need prayer and we need help and we need counsel. But here's the ministry of Christ. He offers those things. But He also takes our place. He takes our place. We can't handle things. And one thing that the Bible makes very clear that often we don't want to agree with and definitely the world doesn't want to agree with is that we really can't handle success and we really can't handle disappointment. And left to our own devices, devices, it's a disaster. But here's the ministry of Christ. He takes our place, perfectly successful, and responds to it by going to be crucified humbling himself, willingly giving up his life. And here's what the gospel tells us, is that Jesus on the cross, the perfect man, spotless, takes on all of our disappointments, all of our curses, all of our shortcomings, all of the reasons why we could never have a relationship with God. He takes all of those on to the point where he's separated separated from the Father. And then this is what he does. As he takes all of those own, he then shifts the victory to us. He gives all of his successes to us. He gives all of his perfection, his holiness, and his righteousness to us. He gives it to us permanently and eternally. And because they're the righteousness of Christ and not our own righteousness We don't mess them up. 
He stamps us with His righteousness and is permanent. And that's the grace of the Gospel. That's what we find out in the Gospel. This is even what is pointed to in 1 Samuel 25. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that, Lord, You haven't left us to ourselves. You haven't left us to our own devices. We thank You that You have chosen by Your kindness and grace and foreknowledge and infinite love to send Your Son to intervene on our behalf, to intercede, to take on everything that we couldn't do, to take on every failure of ours, to take on all of our poor responses to the ebbs and flows of life. And then you chose to give us the success and the perfect righteousness of your Son. Lord, we thank you that the gospel cannot fail us. We thank you that we have the hope that cannot fail. In Christ's name.